Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the land of bourbon and bad decisions. This is Relentless Daring live on Podbean.com and on the Podbean app. I'm so glad that you all could join me for this if you're listening live. If you're catching it on demand via RelentlessDaring.com or on your preferred podcatching app of choice. Um, So... This is what, week three, week four of coronavirus insanity. And everywhere you look, that's all there is to talk about because coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. Um, Here in Missouri, it was announced yesterday that Governor Mike Parsons is instituting statewide stay-at-home orders. I really don't know how I feel about this because, honestly, it pisses me off. Um, the biggest problem that has been seen in this country is urban centers seem to be the worst uh, worst hit. Uh, just looking at Missouri, population 6 million, approximately. And the majority of people who have been afflicted with the coronavirus are well well over half of those afflicted with it are from St. Louis a place where you have people who are living on top of each other uh, even in the uh, suburban sprawl it's fairly close quarters <clears throat> you also have places like Springfield Columbia uh, Kansas City, again, places where there's a lot of people. But here in rural areas, like the county I live in, maybe, maybe 50,000 people in the entire county, the majority of which is because of Fort Leonard Wood. There are 10 cases now, I, I know those 10 cases, they can spread very quickly. You go to the next county over, and they have zero. You go to another county right in the area, they also have quite a few people. And I'm willing to bet many of those cases are folks from St. Louis and Columbia, Kansas City, who have houses on Lake of the Ozarks, and they said, you know what? We're going to blow this popsicle stand where everyone's coming down with this garbage. And we're going to go to the lake house. We have friends who live in the Osage Beach area. And they said that in the last couple of weeks, the traffic, despite you know lots of stay-at-home orders, 
you know, for being individual counties driving down uh, US 54 or um, Osage Beach Boulevard. And it's, so they said it's just like summer lake traffic up there because there's so many people. And I will say, this has been giving a huge, huge case for federalism in the sense that, you know, maybe local communities should be the ones who are policing themselves. That being said, if Camden County wants to say, hey, we're going to do a stay-at-home order, and we're going to make sure that our deputies are enforcing said order, that's fine. Or the city of Camdenton or the city of Osage Beach saying they want to do this. I am 100% behind this. Because... At that level, that is something they should do. They know the needs of the community. My problem is, was when the entire when the state says we're going to do it for the whole state. I'm sorry, I have a half hour drive that I have to make to work every day. That is how this podcast stays on the air is because I work my butt off for fifty hours a week minimum. That's how I put food on the table for my family is I have to go to work. Now, granted, uh, the federal government has decided that those businesses that involve the food supply system or in our, more specifically to our case, because we're kind of like a, well, yeah, it kind of works in there as far as the uh, food chain. We fall under the uh, uh, wood and forest products industries because we make wooden barrels. So that makes us essential. I had to get my travel papers when the county I live in set, decided that they were going to institute their version of a stay-at-home order. And so it's like, huh. Well, at least I have my papers, so if I get stopped, I can still go to work. It doesn't make me very comfortable, but at least I have it. But then again, when you break down federalism into its smallest pieces, it really gets down to local communities making decisions that are the best for the local community. I don't need Jefferson City saying that, hey... Down there in Pulaski County, Laclede County, where you seem to be doing a really good job keeping everything in check. Those ten ca- those ten cases, they didn't pop up overnight. They actually stretched out over a period of time. And you know, we see what you're doing. You keep doing you keep doing what you're doing. But we're gonna have you know, talk to people in St. Louis, try to do a better job up there. They're not doing that. They're saying everything that St. Louis needs to do, the entire damn state's going to do. And, you know, that's no different than, you know, the federal government coming in and saying that, uh, well, we understand that West Virginia is the last state to have any of this crap pop up in it, but we're going to put the same restrictions on them 
as what needs to happen in, say, New York, Michigan, or California, or Illinois. Some of these states where you have major urban centers where this crap is just going everywhere. So, that's where it really leads to, uh, hold on a second. My computer's being wonky here. It's trying to do updates while I'm trying to record. Yay. So, then on top of it, you also have the ever-popular, uh, the, the DPA, the Defense Production Act, which is being enacted. Now, I understand they were uh, really needing to try to get some of the production of test kits, PPE, stuff like that, to where it is uh, more readily available. Now... I am not a huge fan of the federal government coming in saying, hey, businesses, you're going to do this. Because that starts to look a lot like um, the, the 1930s under Roosevelt with the, uh, the Blue Eagle stamp. Well, if you want to continue, if you want to continue running your business, you're going to put this little stamp and you're going to... Make things the way we say you're going to make them, or and yeah, uh, you know if we tell you to change what you're making, you will do it, and you will you will comply, you will not argue, and you ends up with the federal government, you know, picking winners and losers because if Bob's Tire Emporium decided that you know I want to run my business the way I want to run it because it's my property. It is my business. Oh, well then. Bob and Bob's Tire Emporium, they don't support America. And so they make it really, really difficult for him to go to suppliers who may be members or participate in the Blue Eagle program. And that's essentially what this is turning into when federal government is going to uh, different manufacturers going, you know, we know you're really good at doing X, Y, and Z. Or, for instance, and more specifically, GM. GM, we know you're really good at making cars. We know you have amazing, innovative thinkers. But, we really need respirators. So, we we know you're uh, we know you said you're going to retool and you're going to build respirators for us, but yeah, we need you to do it now. So here's an order. Bye bye. That is wrong. Uh, you have industry. Then you have industries like uh, the distillation industry. They have stepped up because you know what? We are going to take a part of our alcohol that we make and we are going to use it to make hand sanitizer. That's great. They're already in the business of producing alcohol, so why not put to some to some use besides you know just drinking. 
Well, in a uh, in a brilliant move of uh, bureaucracy, the FDA, oh yes, the Food and Drug Administration, is making it much much harder for distilleries to produce hand sanitizer. Uh, this is an article from a couple days ago from Reason. Those wonderful, wonderful libertarian thinkers over at Reason. Uh, in the in the midst of COVID nineteen pandemic, hand sanitizer has become an incredibly scarce resource. It's practically impossible to find any find any at a grocery or drugstore, or to order online. But in Washington D.C., at least anyone who wants a bottle can get one. All you have to do is buy a bottle of booze. That's what I did yesterday when I ordered delivery of a pre-bottled cocktail. The delicious rye apple brand blend, the American Trilogy, from Restorative Republic, a local distiller that makes bourbon, vodka, rye, and apple brandy. A few hours later, the bottle was delivered to my front gate, along with a smaller bottle labeled Hand Cleaner. Again, this is a local distillery doing what local businesses do best. They take care of their communities. See, businesses, again, they already have a model in place that works that allows them to, uh, has them set up to be able to kind of be flexible with what they're able to produce. But, now the FDA is having to step in and go, wait, you're doing what? No, 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 no. Well, see, we don't like the way you're doing it, so we're going to make you do this our way. The, uh, let's see, but there's a problem. The Food and Drug Administration, FDA, currently won't let them do so in an efficient way. Quote, we are... We're ready, willing, and able to produce massive amounts of hand sanitizer, says Matt Dugali, the president and CEO of the American Distilled Spirits Alliance. The FDA, along with the Alcohol Tax Trade Bureau, he says, quote, have guidance documents about how we make our hand sanitizer, end quote. And that guidance re- requires a denaturant, an additive meant to make the alcohol unpalatable, if, say, a child would try to drink it, which... Okay, that's understandable. Um, If you are a farmer and you have a license still in order to produce fuel alcohol, because say you live up north and you need to make fuel alcohol to go into your diesel to act as an anti-gel, you are required by law to put a denaturant in it, usually in the form of methanol, you know, the, the alcohol will make you go blind or kill you, you put that into the alcohol. That way, people know, don't drink it. And I'm being asked by Joy, is this live? Yes, yes it is. So that means any train wreck you come across here is going to be here for everyone to hear as it happens. It's usually pretty entertaining. Ah, great voice. I like being told I have a great voice. Last time my voice sounds kind of dumb and yeah, most people think I sound like a goofball. I appreciate that. 
but the denaturant the FDA currently requires would temporarily wreck production lines. Quote, we make consumable alcohol products, and if we introduce a denaturant into our lines, it renders them useless for future alcohol production, barring extreme cleaning measures, because we cannot have any remnant of the denaturant in our lines and then sell a consumable product. End quote. So now you have, again, big government doing what big government always does best and screwing things up. Why not just give us alcohol drink? Okay, uh, so like I said, this is live. Um, so it's kind of recap here. The distilleries are still making regular alcohol. But they have decided that, you know, since we already have the physical facilities, we could run it a little stronger than 45%. We can run it 60-70% and we can produce, put it into a gel form and sell as hand sanitizer. But now the FDA is coming in and going, no, 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 no. That's all well and good, but you have to to do something to your system that is going to screw everything else up when you try to run your regular consumable alcohol. And this is usually what has been a problem with all the coronavirus stuff this entire time is that the uh, the government bureaucracy gets in the way. When we got word from France that, hey, this hydroxychloroquine is working really well on the coronavirus. 40 patients who've all taken it compared to 40 patients that did not take it, they got over it in about five days. If we had, if they had other issues that we had to give azithromycin for, that helped even further. We get this peer-reviewed study here in the States, and instead of the FDA, instead of the FDA going and saying, huh, you know, this seems like a really good idea. Let's go ahead and, you know, get this going. No, 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 no. We have to, you know, go ahead and go through all these hoops that we have to, we have to have studies. We have to do this, that, and the other. We just have to take our time. We can't rush into these things. And this is what's hindering progress. You know, we, there's uh, studies showing uh, possible good results on uh, on vaccines. And say, so, hey, you know, we're showing this vaccine. It's working on, you know, a similar coronavirus in mice. We need So we need to start stepping up so we can maybe try it on people to get a vaccine available little for you know for people faster and the fda is coming in no 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 we we can't be doing that why would we rush into production on something that could be saving people's lives and every step of the way the fda has been dragging its feet 
and been having to have Donald Trump come in and you know kick them in the butt and say, no, we need to get this going. We can, you know, we're going to have to sidestep. And yeah, it's scary that there could be people who are sick and worse or it just doesn't work for. And I hate to sound like I'm a fan of using human guinea pigs, but if this virus is as god-awful deadly as they're saying it is, why wouldn't someone you know, who has the virus be willing to go, you know what, sign me up. This is a, this, you know, if it works for me, it could work for someone else. If it doesn't work for me, you can use it to figure out a way to make it better for the next guy. I, I know there's been a lot of, uh, lot of bashing on the idea of, you know, altruistic sacrifice because was it last week Glenn Beck said that he would be willing to go out and work if it meant that his kids didn't have to go out and you know be exposed to the virus and suddenly the fine fine folks at Media Matters for America good old at MMFA on the Twitters immediately took that as he just wants old people to die. What? No, not, no. I listened to that particular episode and I didn't hear old people go to work and die. I didn't hear sacrifice the old people for the good of the economy. But we also have to look at the fact that shutting everything down has had an amazing amazing effect on our economy 10 million unemployed uh unemployment claims filed in the last two weeks that is staggering uh there's a i saw a gift that came up over social media that would kind of followed unemployment numbers since like 1900 you know, you see it going up through the 20s. You see it go down through the 30s and the Depression. You see it go back up after World War or during World War II, back down, back up. You see it climb. You see it fall. And then it's, it goes down. It's remaining fairly steady. And then all of a sudden it just, not even a hockey stick like, uh, like some of these uh, coronavirus models or the... Uh, or some of the the models that Al Gore used on uh, his stupid movie. It's just, it's going fairly straight, and then it's going up a wall. And that's the part that's really hurting, hurting us way much more than, you know, the, this virus is. Whether it's going... You know, whether it's infecting so many people or they're killing so many people. But when we shut down the economy, what does that do to, you know, society? Because people working affords them benefits, especially, well, depending on where they work. You know, they work for a larger business. They probably have health insurance. If that larger business has to shut down, 
because of you know all the uh, coronavirus stuff whether it is a an employee the employer goes you know we're shutting down just to be safe or it's you know the city county state federal government coming in saying oh well you're not an essential business so you can't be open and that puts people out of work uh here in our area we've got one boat plant that is on a temporary hold we have two more boat plants that have fired a collective nearly 400 employees now part of that part of that is it is spring layoff season for for the boat plants this happens every year when they spend all winter building boats for the spring and summer sales season and the for the 2020 model year and then in the spring those all those orders have already been sent out and they're sitting at the boat dealers so there's really no need to be building a whole lot more boats so they let a bunch of people go and so you have that coupled with businesses that can't be open now because of all the uh, shutdown orders and so now you have people who are just laid off and they need something to they need work but now they can't because well all these businesses are they're not essential they 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 can't open so they can't hire anyone and so now here's 400 people in this community who are not are they without a job right now they're not going to be able to get one but what does that do you know now you have people who are stuck at home unable to work maybe you know yeah they're getting unemployment the you know they they turn to alcohol and maybe drugs they self medicate yep their health takes turn for the worse. They can't go to the doctor. They can't do, you know, you know, the stress at home and the, you know, they have kids who are not in school. Just drives them up the wall. They, they turn to further, further self-medication. It turns into a spiral. And so now you're going to end up with more people who are uh, opting out so to speak, committing suicide because, well, I can't, I can't take care of my family. I'm a failure because I, I couldn't keep the, you know, my job at this essential business because, you know, you know they they had to choose who they need to let go to be order, be able to maintain. Well, we can only have so many people in our building at one time. See ya, Bob. Yep. Or people get sick and they can't afford to go to the doctor because, you know, they've lost their source of insurance. Maybe they're too proud to uh, to apply for state aid. I, I don't know. Um, it just goes further and further on and it creates situations which is going to cause more and more people to die because... The economy has hit the crapper. And it, it's absolutely awful to think about. And you know, I, I try to have this be a 
kind of an entertaining show, not just me, you know, looking at the negative of everything, but, you know, we kind of have to. We can't all just sit back and go, eh, well, you know, it'll pass and, you know, chin up. Sometimes you, you have to look at the things that you don't want to see. You have to look at, you know, these second, third order effects that, well, what well, we're stopping the spread of the virus. Yeah, well, congratulations. You just put half the country out of work because, you know, I'm a doctor. I know better. Well, if you're a doctor who knows better, surely you can see what happens when people don't work. You can see the horrible negative effects. Um, there was a study done, and during the uh, 2000, from 2008 through 2010, when the economy crapped out then, you know, the end of the Bush administration going into the Obama administration, there was a 10% a 10% rise in suicides. That's a staggering number of suicides. When you consider that, you know, like the veteran world, it's an average of 22 veterans a day commit suicide. And there was a period where suicides as a whole spiked. That is horrible to think about. And there are people who, you know, well, if you're so pro-life, why haven't you uh, shut down all these uh, people, all these businesses? Well, maybe because I'm pro-life. I want businesses to be open and I want businesses to operate semi-intelligently and make proper decisions on their own without the uh, the weighty guiding hand of government to tell them what to do or and to force them to do things so that way people can still have jobs people can still be making money people can still be putting food on the table people can still be going out and you know being able to go run through the drive-thru and grab something to eat if they can't go in and sit down and have a meal. I want people to be able to afford health insurance. I want people to be able to have the health insurance that's provided by their employer. And I want that to be able to be what's saving lives, not people turning turning to uh, the ever, ever-loving and benevolent Uncle Sam to provide for them. This is Tyler from Relentless Daring, and I am launching the brand new RelentlessDaring.com merch shop. Instead of having to go to a third-party vendor, now you can do everything right there at RelentlessDaring.com. If you want to buy merch, go to RelentlessDaring.com slash shop, and there you can get hats, you can get t-shirts, you can get hoodies, you can get coffee cups, you can get stickers. Go there today to show your love for the Relentless Daring podcast. And as always, stay relentless.
right, uh, coming back off that little break. So I was talking earlier about how the federal government is just being in the way. Um, even the state governments are starting to really come around and seeing that you know, maybe heavy-handed decisions aren't the best way to go. Um, earlier last week, the governor of Michigan had sent out a uh, sent out a letter to a lot of the doctors and doctors' offices in the states, threatening those doctors about provide uh, prescribing hydroxychloroquine as you know to treat COVID patients. Um, this is a uh, article from Zero Hedge. Michigan Democrat Governor begs feds for hydroxychloroquine just days after threatening doctors for prescribing it. Did you quote uh, while well, reading from the article last week? Our Democrat. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer is now asking federal government to send her hydroxychloroquine just four days after she threatened to revoke medical license of doctors who prescribed it. Last week, Whitmer sent a letter warning physicians and pharmacists of punishments for prescribing of hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine despite major study recommending, quote, COVID-19 patients be treated with hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin to cure their infection and to limit transmission of the virus to other people in the to of other people in order to curb the spread of COVID nineteen in the world. End quote. I know I've read a portion of some of these studies on on the show, and this is incredibly promising. But there's people who just want to have their say because they have to be right, and there's nothing more dangerous than someone who has to be right especially when they're in government you know you have the you have governors who say we're going to ban this or governors that straight up do ban not not just make uh, threats like governor whitmer did um but the you know who was it Jay Inslee, Jay Inslee, for all that people can say about him as far as, you know, based on his politics, he's actually done a remarkable job in Washington that no one is speaking about because it was hit so hard early on, especially because the, the major outbreak center was a, was a senior center where there was a an entire population of people with comorbidities and had really high death count. And then it began to spread amongst the community. And, you know, Washington appears to be on the downhill side of this thing, which is absolutely amazing. But then, you know, you look at New York State, New Jersey, and it's the mess you know they they've had uh, lockdown orders for quite some time, but it's still spreading rapidly. Uh, as 
as was noted in a uh, Hong Kong study about uh, the SARS outbreak, you know, where they had the SARS outbreak in China and Hong Kong, then it spread to Canada. And then after it went away, it suddenly popped back up again. And now there's a reason why COVID is also known as SARS-2. It's very, very close genetically, if you can call, you know, a single strand of RNA genetic. But I digress. It's very, very close to the SARS, to the original SARS virus. And it turns out the original SARS virus loves certain conditions. Like cool, you know, mid-70s, and dry. Well, what stays cool and dry? You know, low humidity. I don't An air-conditioned home? Kept in the 70s? Maybe a hospital? You know, with uh, certain sterile surfaces that are, you know, a great place for a little coronavirus to hang out for, you know, 12 hours. Until the next person comes along and wipes across it and picks it up and, you know, they rub their eyes and, oh, a nice... uh, warm moist way to get into the body through somebody's eyes or, or you know around their mouth and you know suddenly like i said hospitals became a uh, a, a birthing point for SARS to re-spike in Toronto you know after the majority of the SARS cases went away and eventually that disease kind of washed out you know at a much lower number. Now, I'm again, I'm not trying to downplay the seriousness of COVID-19. I am not at all. I understand, you know, even at a 1% case fatality rate, that's 10 times worse than the flu. Granted, the flu also has a vaccine. The yet, you know, has a 30% fail rate because honestly, Every year when they develop a flu vaccine, they're guessing at what the the dominant strains are going to be. And it, maybe for the most part they get it right, but people still get a strain that they don't vaccinate for. It happens. So we have this massive, you know, this massive uh, flu vaccine push every fall. Oh, I haven't gotten a flu, I haven't gotten a flu shot the last three years because I spent 16 years having mandatory flu shots. Thank you, United States Army. And so, yeah, I'm, this is my uh, little act of rebellion. Ah, no one's standing there to tell me I have to get a flu shot anymore. Screw it, I ain't getting it. I know it's. It's the little victories. You know what I mean? But, so, you know, you have a massive number of people get the flu shot, and that provides for a a herd immunity. Um, That's the reason why, after a while, 
they stopped doing smallpox shots, or actually smallpox isn't a shot, but they stopped doing smallpox vaccinations because so many people had gotten it done that it essentially died out. I, I use that word loosely because I know the United States government does have samples of smallpox. It is safe to assume other foreign governments have uh, smallpox uh, kept in a vial somewhere just because, you know, it it may suddenly pop up in the in nature and we have to have a way to uh, recreate mass quantities of vaccine for it again. I'm not too concerned. I've been immunized against smallpox twice. Yeah, the the newer forms of it that I got in 2003, that vaccination was only good for 10 years. So 2014, getting ready to go to Korea, they stuck me again on the other arm. Yeah, at least I know I'm safe from at least one disease. But, um, you know, and then they're starting to do, uh, starting to take a lot of blood samples, do testing because... There, there are certain people, they want to know why. They, they want to look at the antibodies in the blood. Uh, it's also been studies showing that, you know, if we use the plasma from a person who's had it and recovered, whether it was through the use of the hydroxychloroquine or they naturally recovered, they use the, they use the, uh, the plasma because the plasma is full of antibodies that helps kill off the virus in people who are still sick. And again, government being government, uh, for a long, for a while, they've actually had to start uh, lifting restrictions on gay men because, yep, you know, it's like, what was the restriction on uh, on a if a gay man is actively involved with other partners? They have to re- they have to stop for like twelve months before they can give blood. Same thing with donating the uh, with plasma to be used to be studied about what is causing this to uh, what is causing was with their blood that's allowing them to get over this disease. I was reading a story, but I don't have it with me. Where a guy's like. He was on the the prep, the pre-exposure prophylactic, the, you know, hopefully keep from getting HIV. And he wanted to do this because he had COVID-19. He recovered. He wanted to, you know, allow himself to be part of a an ongoing cure. And he was denied because, yeah, um, sorry, um, but the... It's not you. It's that. Um, well, it's, it's yeah. It's you. It's it's your lifestyle. We we don't want that to be a. Uh, we don't want you to put anyone at risk. And he's like, why? I'm healthy. I'm. I'm HIV negative. It's as part of this medicine. I have to be tested every month. I know I'm not going to pass anything on. Well. 
enough enough uh enough gay men had decided that you know this is ridiculous why are we being kept from doing this that the fda actually did come around and yet they lifted some of those uh or they closed up some of those uh hoops that they had to jump through to be able to you know donate blood product so i think that's good because you know Maybe maybe it has something to do with being on being on the uh, the prep drugs that you know help their body fight it off quicker. I don't I don't know. I, that's part of the reason why you know you know we should look at everyone, not just look at you know you know the average person who you know average heterosexual who gets over this because you know again there's things we don't know. And if you ask questions, you know, you're, you just want old people to die. Are you anti-science? And it's, it's, it's a litany of accusations that does nothing to forward the conversation. All it is used to just stop the conversation. And that's not what we need right now. We don't need the conversation being stopped. We need to be allowed to ask questions. We need to be like, okay, you know, if if President Fauci is up there and, you know, Vice President Burke's talking about everything that's going on, why can't we have some of these uh, scientists, like a, a Dr. Ioannidis from Stanford, why can't he be in the press corps challenging them? Why can't uh, researchers from, you know, hugely conservative anti-government libertarian bastions like Carnegie Mellon Oxford Yale why can't they go to this press briefing you know and you know nail their 95 theses to the door and be able to be able to have the conversations with look we know the numbers you're using the numbers you're using aren't necessarily good. Let us let's actually discuss what we're seeing versus what you're telling us. But they get shut down because what they have to say doesn't allow for the government to do what the government does best. And that is expand its size and its scope. For years, the government always seems to find a way to use any sort of emergency or crisis to expand itself. This is this is a known fact, and for some reason, we always seem to deny that. But as we've gone on, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, we we have seen. Uh, individual companies step up i was talking about the uh distillers earlier who are they're they're already making alcohol so why not make hand sanitizer with it great idea you know till the federal government gets involved um you have places like uh my pillow that they retooled an entire plant and went from making you know, pillows, well, what, to making surgical masks. 
uh, Mike Lindell was like, well, what do we need? What's the minimums we need to make these masks? Well, it has to be so many thread count. Oh, crap, we're double that. You know, and, and so they when they started making surgical masks, they were actually better than the standard. They didn't have to have government come in and say, you are going to do it. They wanted to do it. And that's, you know, that's what's going to save America. That's what makes America great is we have business owners who they're willing to take a loss because of what the greater good is. They're not being forced to, to take a loss because the government tells them this is the greater good. Uh, granted, there are people who aren't going to make the right decisions. That's it's a fact of life. That's human nature. But I believe enough people will. I mean, little little tiny diners and little you know wide spot in the road towns that well we we can't have people coming into the diner every day so we're going we're going to do like some of these other businesses call your order in we'll prepare it you just come in pick it up and then you know there's certain things that we get every every other day off of the delivery truck that they're hard that are hard to get a hold of in the grocery store. Eggs, chicken, yeah, ground beef, stuff like that. So what do they do? All right, trucks coming in tomorrow. What's your order? And they allow and you know, for a small markup you can buy in bulk. We just got fifteen dozen eggs. Which it sounds like a lot, but as you realize how many eggs our family goes through, that's a that's a godsend. Twenty bucks versus paying seven dollars for thirty eggs. Imagine getting fifteen dozen eggs at four. Uh, was it almost four dollars a dozen? I couldn't afford that even if I wanted it. But you know, we there are places are doing the right thing without the need of government to come in and tell them this is the right thing and you're going to do it or else. Now that's gonna do it. Um something I didn't get to I did not get to the sponsor of the show, which uh the show sponsor right now is um cedar hill woodworking down in coppers cove texas it's uh, run by a great veteran a buddy of mine uh, zach norman awesome guy uh if you go to etsy.com and search cedar hill woodworking all one word go to his page he has some amazing uh laser engraved uh wood products that he does um, if you're into Dungeons and Dragons or uh, Warhammer 40K, some of these uh, tabletop games, you know he does awesome. Uh, he makes dice caddies. He makes dice towers. You know, you throw all your dice in, shoots out the bottom. You know, figure out whatever the heck that means for the roll. I don't play these games, so I really don't know. But he just does amazing work. Uh, you can see the kind of stuff that he has laser engraved. He has a 3D printer. 
Uh, he he 3D prints uh, great little uh, characters for you know if you want to have actual characters for your games. Uh, he makes great uh, paint racks. You put your model paints in. This looks awesome. Great great work from him. So yeah, he gladly stepped up. Said he wanted to sponsor the show. So. Yeah, so go down, go to Etsy.com, search for Cedar Hill Woodworking, support Zach's work, because he supports this. I also want to thank those people who go to Patreon.com and support me there. Uh, it's great. It, everything that I make off of Patreon comes back into the podcast. It goes comes to me, and it goes back out to you in the form of this show. So... Thank you so much to those people. Thank you so much for anyone signing up there. It's at patreon.com slash relentlessdaring1. Or you can go to www.relentlessdaring.com. There is a link there on the homepage. You can go to Patreon, sign up there. Also, at uh, over on the uh, the website, you can stream the back or, or you can listen on demand uh, the back catalog of shows. Uh, they're always available there for free. You don't have to pay to listen to them. You also uh, shop and buy merch there. And I'm going to warn you now, uh, there are some supply issues uh, due to the coronavirus. So if you click on a product there and it's not available, please uh, shoot me an email through the website. And that way I can work on switching to a different vendor through the shop um they've been really great with me letting me know what's going on i'm still working trying to get some of those bugs worked out so please be patient that's all i ask is be patient um but anyways thank you all so much for listening you know if you're listening to this on itunes i ask you to do four things number one subscribe get notified every week when the podcast comes up. Number two, I want you to rate it. You rate it and then, you know, as people are looking for podcasts to listen to, hey, this is a five-star podcast. I like it. I'll give it a shot. Number three, leave a review. Because then when someone sees it pop up as a recommended podcast, because, hey, you're listening to these people, you might like this guy. They re, you know, they see a good review, and maybe it'll maybe it'll be something I do like. And number four, share it, you know, copy it, tweet it out, send it out on social media, text it to a friend, text it to a liberal friend who you know is going to drive them up the wall. I don't care. Just please, these are the things I ask, is because y'all make this worth it, and the more y'all put into it the more I'm able to put back into it as well. And it's just absolutely great being able to work with y'all, being able to do this show, communicate with you. Thank you so very much for being there. And as always, stay relentless. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 